What's going on, guys? So we are here with our newest coach, McKenzie. Really excited about this podcast. This will be a pretty informal discussion. We're just going to kind of get to know McKenzie. We'll have some fun facts with nutrition and training, all of those things. And of course, you can always visit our website, uh, myobrain.co backslash McKenzie to learn more about her. Also, you can sign up with, um, with her for nutrition coaching through us as well. So thank you for taking some time out, McKenzie. Um, starting off, let's just kind of give people a general background on kind of your both academically with being a nutrition coach, a, a dietitian, and also kind of like your background as an athlete with, within the sport of CrossFit. Sure. Um, so I've always been in sports and athletics. Um, I started gymnastics when I was like two years old um, and I did 15 years of competitive gymnastics and competed up through level nine. And then I also was in karate since a young age. And I did that with all, all my brothers too. So we've always been, you know, around the States and even out of the country competing. And um, then I went to school for nutrition. I got my bachelor's in nutrition and dietetics, and I just started becoming more interested in the actual impact of nutrition on my training. Um, after sports, I just kind of worked out for fun just to maintain you know, health and fitness and, you know, look fit and feel fit. But I stopped doing sports in college and just studied nutrition. And then I graduated and went through the nutrition program, became an RD in 2016 and started practicing. And at the same time, I became a personal trainer and I started CrossFit that year as well. So the last four years, um, I've done CrossFit and competed at a high level. Um, last year, I competed at the CrossFit Games and but just been practicing nutrition and hardcore training the last four years. Yeah, very cool. And uh, that's a very like, you know, like quick timeline of things too. And it's, it's very interesting that you literally started doing CrossFit in 2016 and they competed in the 2019 games. A lot of people will say something like, well, I started CrossFit in 2012 and then I was competitive in 2015. You know what I mean? They kind of like ease into it. Um, right. But I think your unique background probably had you really suited well to do too well in the sport um, as well. And of course, um, you know, with, with you being a member of our team now, um, being a registered dietitian, being what's, you know, generally referred to as a nutrition expert within, you know, the medical field is really important for, for our coaches. Um, we're trying to really be a, a high quality service for, for all of our clients. So it's important we bring new people on. They're very, very knowledgeable um, because Nowadays, uh, almost anybody with a social media account can be a, a nutritionist of some some sort, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we're going to kind of break this, um, getting to know you into two segments, a little bit on the training CrossFit side of things for you as an athlete. Of course, a lot of our clients, uh, a lot of our listeners are probably very interested in that side of things, but also some of the stuff um, with your nutrition um, as well as an athlete and sort of some just personal things you probably use a lot with your clients. So one thing I talk to a lot of uh, athletes like yourself, whether it's in CrossFit or a different sport, um, we have a lot of people on our roster who compete, you know, recreationally, compete more locally, maybe aspire to go to a Wadapalooza or a Granite Games or whatever the CrossFit Games may or may not be now sort of a thing. So what do you think are some of the misconceptions that maybe the public or those um, more intermediate type athletes have about how people like you train? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and, you know, a lot of what people, people post on Instagram are the, are the PRs and like the cool CrossFit workouts, but you don't see all the, you know, just grinders, like these long, dreadful conditioning workouts, and you don't see all the little accessory work and pieces. Um, you don't see the lighter weight squat cycles you do, or just like the lighter percentages you work off of for lifts. So there's so much of that and so much time put into that. Um, I don't think people really realize it's not just every day going heavy and every day, like just a bunch of CrossFit workouts. There's so much else that's part of that and building to that level. Um, another thing is, we kind of touched on this, how you said, you know, I, I started CrossFit in 2016 and went to the games three years later. And um, I don't think that's super common. And I've seen a lot of people come into CrossFit and they're like, you know, their, their goal is to make it to the CrossFit games. And it's really, really hard to do if you don't already have a high competitive sports background and that you've, you know, have that base and you've been doing something your whole life. Um, it's, it's happened, but most of the time, all the games athletes have done a competitive sport. They've been involved with fitness their entire life. So I actually went into CrossFit already really strong, um, pretty fit. I had to build my conditioning a lot, but my goal wasn't even to make it to the games. I never thought I could or considered making it to that level. But um, I think there's a lot of misconception there. And a lot of people have a goal of going to the CrossFit games. And I think that's an awesome goal to have, but it's also important to, you know, be a realistic and, and start smaller, uh, maybe start with like competing just at a local competition and then, you know, maybe seeing where you can go from there. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I especially like the point on, you know, your background. And I think uh, a lot of people, they may know that about some of these athletes, but they don't understand how much of a difference that makes in that mm -hmm. just because you weren't quote unquote doing CrossFit from say 2005 to 2015 doesn't mean what you were doing from an activity standpoint didn't dramatically help you, right? You know, mm -hmm. things like gymnastics or people who swam or I, I know you have a I'm not sure how much you did, but some sort of background and like bodybuilding style of training, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stuff is very specialized. And then when people like you come into the sport, now you have such an advantage in like maybe a third of the workouts immediately because you spent a decade doing weightlifting or doing gymnastics. So you don't have to really do muscle ups that often anymore, uh, sort of thing to keep your capacity mm -hmm. there. And people, like you said, they see high-end athletes and this person did a 21-15-9 of heavy deadlift and chest-to-bar pull-ups and they want to do those things, but their actual capacity right now is like they have to break those pull-ups into sets of three. That's like not the same thing, right? Because they didn't spend five years doing strict toes-to-bar and strict you know, gymnastics so they can just jump on a bar and do 20 chest-to-bars. And- right that's just a hard conversation to have with people about like be, because this person's childhood or because they're early twenties, they just have a massive head start on you. And mm -hmm. you have to kind of realize that where if you want to get as good as them, if you've never touched a barbell before, or you've never, you know, did any gymnastics movement, you're not going to do 20 ring muscle ups in your first six months of CrossFit, right? Even if they did it, well, they could do five strict before they walked in the gym sort of a thing. Um, so 
hopefully over time, there's more of an education there with a development curve with athletes that like in a weird way, people like you that actually did a sport were almost forced into because you had to develop like the strict strength and develop a lot of muscle mass that helped you do those things versus now you have people, you know, athletes that can't back squat 225, but are doing, you know, 185 squat cleans and workouts. And there's just the development curve there is very, is very odd. So uh, yeah, I think that's a really just great point that um, it can't be stated enough how much someone's background plays a role in their style they can do today. And taking time to really build the basics up. But I mean, that's not the fun stuff to do, but you know, I could do 50 unbroken chest of our pull-ups and, you know, people will make comments like, oh, those aren't real pull-ups. You know, you're, you're swinging, blah, blah, blah. But I can also do, you know, over 20 strict pull-ups. And that's what I learned first. I never learned any kipping movement until I was able to do strict. And I think that really helps a lot. Yeah. And it, it, again, I, maybe my point wasn't awesome here. So maybe kind of clarify it too. When you're, when you're doing gymnastics as a sport or weightlifting as a sport or whatever, you're not in a rush to get good at that. So you can move on to the next thing because that's kind of the goal, right? But Mm -hmm. versus when you're doing gymnastics and CrossFit, sometimes there is a rush because you want to learn how to do a handstand hold, but just as quickly so you can do a handstand walk, just so quickly you can walk up a ramp right? There's not a whole lot of mastery within that. Um, kind of a similar background to myself of someone that did bodybuilding and powerlifting like prior to getting into CrossFit. Um, I had really good like relative body weight strength from those two things, especially as a smaller powerlifter. I could like deadlift and squat three times my body weight. And with movements like strict handstand push-ups, I was almost immediately good at them before I even almost knew how to do them because I had a whole bunch of like overhead strength to Mm -hmm. actually do those things. But you see people, this is like a very common thing in the sport where they think they're going to get good at strict handstand pushups by just doing like singles and workouts versus what they need to do is like six months of just like boring strength training that you would give like Mm -hmm. a 14 year old or the same exact thing with gymnastics. They need to go like, do gymnastics drills with like eight-year-olds, not, you know, try to, you know, chicken wing a bar muscle up for 20 minutes. And um, again, if there was, you kind of have to think about your timeline as an athlete and say, hey, if I want to be really competitive in two years, maybe that means I don't need to do a muscle up in a workout for like six months. I can just actually focus on the skills of those things, just like a a gymnast would focus on the skills of those things so that when they're good enough at that, they go express it in a workout and it's like almost easy for them to do it, you know? Absolutely. Uh, This is kind of a fun question here. So this doesn't have to even be in relation to CrossFit. If you've had like, you know, other competitive experiences, kind of whatever um, you think is cool, but do you have an all time like favorite moment um, with competing in a sport? You can just like, you'll never forget this moment, anything like that. Yeah, it's more just the whole competition itself. Um, so I've actually, I've not actually never really liked competing. I always get really, really nervous and um, anxious and I just am sick to my stomach and even thinking about competing now makes me nervous. So, but it's also something I've done my whole life. Um, 
and my favorite competition actually was a CrossFit competition. It was Wadapalooza 2018. And the reason it was my favorite competition is because I qualified. That was my first year competing individually there. And I qualified for the elite division and I did not expect to at all. I had zero expectations. And so when I went to the competition, I was like, well, I just don't want to get last. Like I'm in with the these like big names and I just don't want to get last, but I'd never expected, you know, to do well or hold my own against them. So zero pressure, zero expectations. And I was able to really just enjoy the workouts and get into the zone and not have any pressure myself. Um, I was super surprised when I found out where I was on the leaderboard and I actually got second in two workouts and one of them, I won my heat in and it just kind of came out of nowhere. So it was just super thrilling and, I was actually in the zone and in my own like moment there. And I didn't feel any pressure, any expectations. And that's one of the reasons it was so fun for me. Right. That's really cool. Sometimes having those, uh, being fresh in the sport and, you know, not expecting to get top five or, you know, mm -hmm. we've discussed this before, but you've like won an open workout, which is a insane thing to think about that a hundred thousand people did one workout and no one had a better score than you. Um, but sometimes again, that now puts pressure on you of, Ooh, there's chest of ours in this workout. I have to win it or whatever. Right. When you're kind of low on the radar, you're just kind of going through your flow and lo and behold, you can really, you know, surprise yourself. And uh, maybe something too, for you, there's like a catalyst of like, I kind of now belong in this tier of people. Um, again, I think with any sport, it has to be kind of weird when, you know, you're a, you know, in different sports, you're a kid and you're in high school and you're looking at LeBron James and the NBA. And then two years later, you're like on the court with them and you're like, what is going on? Like there has to be that kind of like shock and same thing with, you know, Tia or Matt or something. And then you realize like, oh, I can do muscle ups like she can. Uh, it has to be a really cool feeling to realize like, wow, I, the people I've aspired to be, I'm kind of, you know, in their, in the ballpark. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. So um, last kind of question here on the training side of things. So again, this is more pertinent for our clients, uh, you know, listeners that um, maybe not as, as competitive as someone like you, um, but a lot of people have an issue with, you know, I'll put this in quotes, but like finding motivation to work out, um, whether it can be time or they just don't really feel like it or they're tired. And mm -hmm. obviously we know that doing some sort of workout, whether it's CrossFit or Orange Theory or riding your bike, I don't care. It's going to be healthy for you. So what kind of, you know, drives you, and I know right now you're not really competing. Um, so, you know, what kind of drives you to just exercise, be healthy? And what advice do you have for people that may kind of be in a rut where they worked out, you know, a few years ago, but things have kind of gotten in the way, they're having trouble finding motivation. What kind of advice do you have to those people just to try to find, find some routine again? Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm sure everyone's heard that it takes time to build a habit and, um, you know, do it for several weeks and it'll just turn into a habit. Well, luckily for me, I've always been involved with sports and I've just always done it. There's, I guess there was a short period of time when I went away to college, I wasn't doing sports where I kind of had to figure it out again, like build it back into my schedule um, because I didn't have a set time to practice every day where I had to go to gymnastics practice or um, go to like karate or, or go to the gym. I didn't have that. So it was just figuring out when to do it. Um, but for the most part, it's just part of my day. Um, I just, 
it's already a habit for me and it, I build my schedule all sometimes around that I'm not competing now so I my workout time is my volume is much lower than it was and I don't have like certain workouts I have to get done but I still set a time maybe an hour a day for working out um, and I know that it I always feel much better when I'm moving around. Sometimes I'm really tired and I'm like, I just, I don't feel like working out today, but never in my life have I regretted doing a workout or really just felt worse afterwards. Um, I guess there's some open workouts that I have felt worse afterwards, but for the most part, I always feel good after. And I, I think everybody I talk to says the same thing. They always feel good after they leave the gym and, you know, get up and go do that workout. Um, but I recommend just making it part of your day, you know, not waiting till the end of the day and working out if you have time, but actually setting aside that time for your workout. It is a priority. It does usually end up making you feel better, have more energy sometimes or more productive afterwards. And you can get a really good workout in 10, 15 minutes if the intensity is high. So set aside that time and spit it into your schedule, make it a priority. Yeah, that's, that's great. I literally had, I don't know, a couple of days ago, a conversation with a client about this of, um, they were missing some workouts and I tell people like fairly bluntly, like write it in your schedule. Like you would a social event or a doctor's appointment. Like it's not an optional thing, especially actually if you're having, if it's not a part of your routine, it needs to like be a rock in your schedule and like a non-negotiable. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of power in doing that of literally putting it in your calendar. And then also I think, um, you know, I have, uh, other discussions with clients about how, you know, motivation is not something that people really think it is like, um, probably you and probably me, I don't necessarily feel motivated all the time to go train. I mean, I do like working out more than I don't, but it's not the same. It's, I wouldn't even call it motivation. It's more of just like, I enjoy the activity and I enjoy the results that I get from it, but it's, motivation really isn't the, the correct word all the time. Sometimes you feel motivated in the middle of a workout or like when I'm about to hit a PR, but there's a lot of things I could do for fun that maybe uh, are more motivating than like, you know, doing bench press. Um, but you know, having that as a part of your every single day routine or, or in your schedule, I think there's a lot of power in, in helping yourself overcome that inertia. And it helps so much too with things getting in the way. When people say they lack motivation, I think a lot of times that is that, um, you know, they were supposed to get off at five and they got off at six or they were going to work out, but they're a little bit tired. So it's an optional thing. And again, when it's a part of your workout, I think, or part of your day, sorry, I think a lot of those things will um, not pop up as much. And again, as you kind of get into the rhythm, do it more often, then you can be a little bit more relaxed on it. Um, that's something that I tell my clients a lot too, is, is a, is a, literally put it in your calendar. I think that makes a big difference. Even for myself, it makes a big difference on getting to the gym on time so that I'm not late doing other things and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I agree. Awesome. So switching gears here a little bit to nutrition. Now we kind of talked about training, um, a little bit of the athlete side and also for, for everybody else. So this is an interesting question. I like to get a lot of people's feedback on this because talking a little bit on the misconception side of things, people who may have, you know, just heard about flexible dieting or who have not really eaten healthy before and they're doing their first diet, they're trying to eat healthy um, for the first time. 
they have their maybe perception that like, oh, these people are like perfect and they like, you know, know all this stuff and how am I ever going to get here? And it's so complicated. So I think it's, it's nice to maybe each of us to share, maybe what are some mistakes you made, maybe really, really when you were young that, you know, diets you tried or something you thought was important that now you think is very silly or some just big mistakes you made with your own personal nutrition, you look back and you're, you kind of like cringe about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely tried a lot of different like diets and jumped on board with fad diets growing up when I was younger, didn't, didn't really know anything about nutrition. I wasn't educated. Um, and I would say like when I really started paying attention to it, um, I was a little bit older. I think it was maybe when I first went away to college and um, I really just thought that eating bland was healthy. Like I thought I, I just ate as bland as possible and as few, as little variety as possible too. So I thought, you know, plain oatmeal was the way to go or just protein powder supplement like was the way to go or just plain chicken. And I cut out so many foods in my diet. Um, and now I have a lot more variety in my diet. I try to eat a huge range of veggies and fruits and love all different types of whole grains and um, tons of different carb sources. And then even looking at the healthy fat sources like avocados and salmon and nut butters and seeds, like adding flavors to food. So um, definitely don't have to eat bland to eat healthy. And sometimes more variety is even better. You're going to get more micronutrients and um, just more variety into your diet and it's better for your overall health. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing. I think, I'm not sure if that was a like bodybuilding type driven, but it's all kind of, you know, with like supplement companies and, and things like that. It's hard to know where exactly where that information comes from, but somewhat similar story to myself and that like got into bodybuilding right, almost right after high school, early college days. And my thing was like meal frequency. That was my big mistake. Or like, I literally thought like, if it wasn't every three hours, somehow I was going to get like fat. And I was just like, I would literally stop. Like if I was traveling, if I ate at noon and it was like three 30, I would think it's better for me to go eat McDonald's than me to not eat food. I thought that's how important it was to eat frequently. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's both of us who have been helping people and, you know, dietitians and gone through the curriculum and, you know, pretty educated on this topic. It seems so silly that we had those thoughts, right? But then you realize you were just a person that had very little knowledge, just like most other people in America, right? And it's it's um, crazy still how far we have to go. And of course, one of our missions is to help people with, you know, simplifying nutrition, helping them understand you can have a lot more variety of foods and still reach your goals and those things. Uh, but again, it's anyone you know, whether they're an expert in nutrition or a great athlete, you can rest assured probably the first few months they were trying things out, it wasn't very good, right? So uh, if you're in that process of you've made some mistakes in the past, really don't let that like deter you from keep trying, right? Um, I probably spent like a year or two doing really dumb things before I found flexible diet, you know, learned a little bit more like science-based side of nutrition and physiology and those things. So um, it's kind of preparation for this podcast too. And, um, you know, just obviously knowing your background before you started working with us. Um, you know, you kind of shared some stories about, I'm not sure if it was related to this, but, you know, maybe chronically under eating 
um, through bland foods, just really, really low calorie intakes and those things. And then you mentioned kind of learning about flexible dieting and being like, whoa, like I don't have to, I can eat red bell peppers and I can actually eat white rice. It's not terrible for me and those things. So, um, you know, take, take us through that process of, you know, how you transformed maybe from just, let's call it a more restrictive style of eating to more flexible and initially kind of what was your mindset about that with, with how it changed your personal nutrition when you found flexible dieting started to incorporate more variety, maybe tracking your food, those, those, uh, those things? Yeah, so I think I saw, you know, this, I mean, I was learning about nutrition in school during this time. And at the same time, I, I kind of saw the whole macro trends pick up and, and I was like, hmm, maybe like I'll try that, um, you know, see how that works for me. And it actually was really, really helpful because it helped me learn about food composition more than, more than I was learning in school. By actually tracking my food, I was able to really see like, what does four ounces of chicken look like? What is two tablespoons of peanut butter? And, and like, what does a cup of rice look like? And, and really learn about food composition. So now I'm at the point where I can really eyeball a meal and estimate really well. Whereas before I had no idea what, what a plate of food was calorie wise. Um, so that's been really, really helpful. Um, and then also, as I started tracking my food, I noticed that I could be a little bit more flexible and I could, you know, eat out sometimes or eat meals that I didn't cook myself or try new recipes and still stay on track with my calorie requirements and make sure I hit the proper amount of protein, um, getting enough carbs for fuel, and then also just being more versatile and having a little bit more flexibility there. So I think there's also a difference between the, if it fits your macros, like trend, and then flexible dieting. And some people will take that too far where, you know, they're just eating anything and everything like junk foods and making weird concoctions to hit these perfect macros and there's not really like a magical macro number either um the flexible dieting is really just finding flexibility and being able to stick with like a calorie range and um hit your goals whether that's increased muscle mass weight loss maintenance sports performance but if you're sticking with a, the appropriate calorie range you can be a little bit more flexible with your food choices with your intake um, and just, it's more realistic for your lifestyle. And it's something that you can incorporate lifelong instead of just like three months of something super strict. Um, and then getting back to regular life, like it's something you can incorporate in a normal lifestyle, which is something I love. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think typically you find, you know, people that do those more restrictive type diets sometimes or on the more like younger side of things, they don't, you don't have a lot of variables to manipulate. Right. Um, or they just really don't care that they're more ostracized sides of things. Um, but you know, I've worked with tons of people at this point, a number of stories I get from people who never forget one of my first years of coaching, this, this girl emailed me like middle of the week before her check-in and was talking about like how her, um, physique coach, bodybuilding coach prior to working with me had told her like, she can't eat any grains, any bread products and like her family like loves tacos. And for the past several years, she's had to like make her family tacos and then she would just eat like chicken and broccoli. And then like the next week when she started working with me, I told her like, you can eat tacos, just track it. And she like sent me this email, like literally sound like she was like crying in the email that she could actually like join her family with eating, right? 
And it is so much just like bugs me when the idea is promoted that you can't do those things and still be healthy, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all trying to find that balance between things. And again, the, the good news is you can be in the best shape of your life and actually not have to give up those things, right? Right. hundred percent is true. Um, and the, the only flip side of that is, you know, you mentioned this through tracking your food, may, maybe like you know, relatively permanently or just for a short period of time to learn by tracking your food, you then kind of like earn the flexibility of what you're eating. Like you said, because when you're eating at a friend's house or when you're eating out at a restaurant, you can always estimate, you know, the portion sizes and those things. You don't have to be perfect, right? But when you have that sort of framework, now you don't look at things as chicken and broccoli, good tacos, bad, right? Right. Look at things as far as what kind of nutrients they're giving you and what kind of nutrients you need. And once you can kind of disassociate those things, now you can go to a restaurant and be like, okay, I'm going to have a margarita. That just means that I have to eat less for lunch. And Mm -hmm. um, again, we're just really trying to help people with a very sustainable approach to things, uh, which I think, again, unfortunately, a lot of people get interested about nutrition through a more restrictive type diet where they can't Mm -hmm. have carbs or they have to eat uh, every X amount of hours, or now it's cool to not eat for several hours in a row, whatever, uh, but hopefully mm-hmm. learn a bit more uh, sustainable approach through just some some good principles. So, Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a great point with the good versus bad food. That's something I definitely looked at. I would label foods in my head, good, good food, bad food, healthy, unhealthy, and it's like completely untrue. You know, it the flexibility part has really allowed me to see all foods for like all the nutrients they give you and, you know, just eating more well-rounded and not beating myself up for eating a food that I labeled as a bad food because it it might not be a a bad food. Um, There's more nutritious and less nutritious options, but labeling foods as good versus bad is just a really unhealthy mindset to have. Right. Right. For sure. So, uh, last few things here. So this is, uh, interesting. I actually don't kind of know this too. So it's good for me. Um, so you, we've kind of discussed, you know, 2020. And if, if you're in the CrossFit space, you probably have seen the past month or so, just all the, the, the madness going on. But I think even kind of before that, um, you kind of had maybe some uh, thoughts on, on maybe not competing this year, which is, you know, the coronavirus and those things. But so with 2020 being very different from you, at least of right now, from a competitive standpoint, last year you had qualified for the CrossFit Games, you were going to compete in the CrossFit Games for the first time, going all in, to now being like a really, really fit person that works out like five or six hours a week probably. Um, so how has your own personal nutrition changed from last year on top of you know the competitive sphere till now kind of being a little bit more like general population who just happens to be super strong still. Mm -hmm. So last year, all of my nutrition was based on my performance and my training. Um, So I did not want to miss a meal. I wanted to make sure I was meeting my calorie goals and it was really important to do so. So much to the point where I was training so hard that I actually lost my appetite. I wasn't ever hungry Um, probably a little bit of overtraining too. Once it was closer to the games, I had no appetite and I'm a person who loves food. So that was really difficult for me. It was actually really challenging to get, my goal was 3000 calories a day and eat that when I wasn't hungry. And, um, you know, now if I'm not hungry, I don't want something. I just don't have it. 
Whereas then I would force it down. So I was making a lot of shakes and five, 600, 700 calorie shakes to try to quickly and easily get um, that calorie amount. Um, you know, I was also to the point where I was, my food quality went down. I was eating a lot more like things like desserts just for the calories. Like I, it was better for me with my training to get the calories from desserts than to not get it at all. And I would feel that if I was under eating. So now I just eat for health. My calories are lower. Um, right now I'm eating anywhere from 2000 to 2,600 calories a day. Just kind of depends how hungry I am, how I'm feeling. Um, you know, I'm mindful of it. I'm mindful of the, you know, the nutrition content of my food, trying to get a lot of fiber, a lot of good variety in my diet. But if I miss a meal, if I'm not as hungry, it's not that big of a deal. So that's kind of nice. It's a little bit less where it was last year when I was forcing myself to get a certain number of calories for fuel for training. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool point just to be a little bit more, you know, relaxed, but still obviously in very good shape and, and maybe body composition wise, things haven't almost changed at all, but you said you're just training less, so you're eating less. And mm -hmm. uh, one just quick point on this too, is I think this is a lesson and you're kind of unique and it happened for you almost like within a year time span and you're the same person, but also a lot of people, you know, they may look at a person that's working out four or five hours a day and be like, oh, well, they can eat ice cream or they can do these things or, oh, look, like, look at, look at their cheat meal. It's not fair. They're going to do these things. And they don't realize that, yeah, like they're training so much that that's almost the only way they can actually hit their calorie requirements. It's not mm -hmm. that like they're just um, eating ice cream to shove it in your face is that, hey, it's hard to eat 3000 calories of chicken and broccoli, you know? Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you yeah. are spending that many calories, the game just kind of change and, this isn't most people listening to this podcast, of course, but something we teach people, again, this goes back to like, things aren't good and bad of that. Some foods fill you up more, some foods fill you up less, you know, teaching people about a calorie deficit versus a calorie surplus. And it's important to learn those principles because someone may come to us with the goal of losing body fat. And then they do that. And then now their goal is to build muscle. And the types of foods you eat, and obviously the amount of food you eat is very different for those goals. So if you just think mm -hmm. that chicken and broccoli is good and that pizza is bad, um, that may kind of be the case when you're losing weight. But then as you gain weight, that's almost not the case, right? Uh, you may actually need some, some fun meals here or there to get your calories up. So it's just an important point of learning the nutrition principles helps a lot more than just an overly simplified good versus bad category because again you may be 25 years old competing in a sport these types of rules work for you but now you're 35 with two kids and those rules don't work for you anymore but if you learn the principles you can learn how to flip-flop between those things so all right so we just have some fun things here uh, mckenzie didn't know the answer to this so maybe she's uh um now gathered up some some good data so I mentioned earlier on that you won, was it 19.5? Mm-hmm. Thrusters, it was like 27, Thrusters 24. A ton of thrusters and chest bar pull-ups. I'm not sure how many was in the sequence. Uh, but yeah, won that workout in the World Wide Open. So I don't think you got a million dollars for that. If you did, congratulations. But I wanted to <laughs> pose the question of if there was 
$1 million on the line. So you'd assume everybody that's capable would try to do this. Um, $1 million on the line, a CrossFit workout has three movements and you get to select them. What would they be? Mm -hmm. So based on how well I did in that workout, you might think I would say chest to bar thrusters, but I actually hate thrusters. Um, chest to bar is my favorite and probably my best movement. Um, so I'll definitely say chest to bar. Um, another one of my favorite and best movements is toe to bar and all gymnastics things. Of course, I have really good grip strength and I've just did gymnastics from such a young age. Um, and then my third one, I think I'm pretty good and efficient at lunges. So I would say some sort of walking lunge, like an overhead walking lunge or front rack or back rack, some type of walking lunge or even a dumbbell. But I would say those two gymnastics movements and lunges. That could be an actual workout. No, you can. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll incorporate that and do a workout this week with it. That sounds fun. Yeah. Just write a workout like that. And then put on the internet, people will be like, shit, it's the fastest time in the world in this workout, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, higher, the higher the skill and is like the better for me. Cause if it's like a, like usually the first workout in the open is just like a real easy, easy movements that like everybody can do, like the wall balls and the rowing um, for 19.1, but it's just how, how bad do you want to hurt? How fast do you want to go? So I tend to do better on the higher skill movements where it weeds a lot of people out with like high volume chest bar. So I would definitely say something like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, just a side note, did you compete the year they had the ramp at regionals? I forget what year that was. Mm -hmm. I think that was 2018 was the um, 2018 regionals. They had the ramp. How was, and you competed that year, right? Mm -hmm. How was that like learning to do that? Uh, no problem like a week not even a day the first time I tried it I think I could do it honestly um I've been walking on my hands my whole life so I was really good at that I actually did fall do a like little somersault on it the first um pass at regionals I think it was nerves and also it was day three and you just did a bunch of ring muscle up so you know it definitely gets challenging um, but learning that was easy for me because of my background. Right. Right. That's really cool. I think we, our gym actually got one after regionals, I think, you know, everybody's like building their like wood versions of things mm -hmm. before regionals. And, um, I'd gone up a few times on the wood thing and then we got the actual I think it was AVI or whatever the brand was. And it was so fun to do that. Like that made me almost like fall in love with, it was much harder for me. Maybe it wasn't as fun for you. Cause you're like, I could do it. But, you know, sometimes it would take me like 10 tries to do it. Um, and that was the first time. Cause muscle ups weren't super hard for me when I first started just having some good, like pulling strength. That was the first time I ever felt like I was working on a high level gymnastic skill where I could just do it mm -hmm. over and over and over as opposed to like, you can't, max a back squat like that uh and it was just really fun to, to work on a skill like that where one rep was like a big deal and you like did it uh kind of, mm -hmm. kind of remind me of like a, a ball sport you know like basketball where you're like shooting from half court you're like shooting threes um so it was a fun experience yeah yeah the ram's fun so last thing here 
another fun one. So I asked this to a lot of people, just curious. So uh, if you had to eat only one style of food, so, you know, it'd be like Chinese or American or Mexican, et cetera, only that style of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm, I would have to say some type of rice bowl. So I guess, I don't know if that would fall into like Mexican category or, or what with the rice, but I, I do love beans and rice, but I could make anything into a rice bowl. Rice with a protein and a salsa is like my go-to. I could eat it every single day. I'm the same way. Yeah. I think that would be a little bit more on the Mexican side of things, but yeah, it's just so, it's uh, so easy to have the good variety in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you can get out of a bowl. You have the, like the, the meat can change or the salsa can change or yeah. meat can change. It seems almost different. So I'm on board with that. Uh, I think it might have to be Mexican as well. Although I also love barbecue food. Um, so it'd really suck to not have barbecue food, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I probably eat Mexican, like almost some style of Mexican dish, like at least every other day. Yeah. A lot for me. So, all right. Uh, Mackenzie, anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up here? I really appreciate your time today. Um, nothing in particular, but just um, thank, thanks for having me on here and excited for people to learn, learn a little bit more about me and, um, you know, work with more clients through my brain in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun. Uh, again, guys, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. So again, you can learn more information, although you probably just learned quite a bit uh, about McKinsey on our website, uh, milebrain.co backslash McKinsey. Uh, as she mentioned, started taking clients with us two weeks ago, depending upon when you're listening to this podcast, early June. So pretty new to our team, but she's already done great work. I've already seen some of the work she's done with her clients and uh, really adopting things really well with us. And of course, has a very similar message that we're trying to promote to people, very science-based, evidence-based nutrition, very sustainable eating, and also finding something that really works for you. Um, we're very responsive as coaches. As also another side note, I received like this Instagram message the other day of like, I worked with this coach from big name company. Uh, they don't get back to me for like 10 to 14 days. And I'm like, it blows my mind that that's like a norm. Uh, within things versus like I get back to people every single day and then when they check in you know within a couple of hours usually so um, yeah we're very responsive with people as well so again um, you guys can always contact me as well for questions about things I'm myobraincoaching at gmail.com I really appreciate you guys listening Kinsey I appreciate you being here today thanks for having me